Yeah, so we're just going to wing it, as per usual. Mm-hmm. As per usual. <laughs> <laughs> I think people like the fact that we're completely shambolic in these. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I think you're right. <laughs> oh, is that not an... Oh, have I done an Britishism? We should, do, we should do an entire episode on Britishisms that Jamie says that Americans don't understand. Shambolic. Chaotic, disorganized, or mismanaged. <laughs> Shambolic is probably a word that lots of people use, but maybe I just don't use it. I mean, it's, I, I'm constantly finding words. Let me close my door. Um, I'm constantly finding words that I use that people are like, huh? And I have no idea that it's just a British thing and not an American thing. But probably they just smile at you and nod and just keep <laughs> keep going on with the conversation as if nothing. Yeah, because they never pick me up strange. on it. Luckily, you do. <laughs> My mum said something the other day when I was speaking to her on FaceTime, and I'd forgotten that we do this. When it's like 3.35, she'll say 5 and 20 to 4. Oh, yeah. Is that a thing over here, too? Uh, I haven't heard that much. No. No. I mean, yes, people say 20 of. Oh, right. Okay. And that always confused me because I always felt like, 20 of something should be 420. Oh, it's not? Right? Because, it, no, 20, 20 of is 20, 20 minutes before. Yeah, 20 to 4. 340. Yeah. Which, which makes you do math. Yeah, no, not Like, no, no what thanks. time is it? <laughs> it's 20 of. Yeah, I'm no, like, Okay, you. what's an hour minus 20? What's 60 minus 20? <laughs> um, yeah, this is too early for maths, or math, as you say over here. <laughs> <laughs> I should say that right now for me it's 9.06 a.m. but for Karen it's 6 a.m. <laughs> I know but see the thing is I have a session at 7 anyway so yeah. I was going to be up and also even if I had no sessions my kids get up at like 6.15, 5.30 sometimes so it's it's like it's like a, this is the I, I live in the parent time zone. Yeah which is totally obscure and different. <laughs> Like there's there's like the LA time zone and then there's the LA time zone for parents. That's that's the time zone I live in. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine doing a session at seven. I would be, it would have to be a very low energy session. <laughs> I, luckily, I'm a morning it. person. Yeah. Did you know that, that that's genetic, actually? Oh, really? Being a morning person or a night person, there's something like I don't know, like 26 genes that factor into whether you are. Uh, you have a greater propensity for waking up early and being happy or being a night owl and staying staying up late. And that's why in a lot of families, you have people who are kind of all morning people or mm. people who are kind of all night people. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm forcing myself to become more of a morning person because I like, I like starting my day without any pressure of expectation for like replying to emails or mm-hmm. getting back to people with things and um for me personally i'm like well they know i'm on the east coast if it's before 9 a.m they can't expect a response so everything before nine for me is like off limits but what i'm trying to say to you is forcing yourself to be a morning person might be like forcing yourself to turn your hair blonde <laughs> well that's no problem for me either <laughs> Might be, might be. I think so long as you get the required hours, that's probably okay, isn't it? If you get the well, no, because you you everyone has like a natural circadian rhythm, right? So people who work the night shift, even if you are okay staying up late, like working the night shift is not great for the human mind and body, because you're supposed to be asleep during that time when the sun goes down. And is this visual? Is it because you can see light and you know? No, it's not. How do it's you not, know? What if you move to a different country? <laughs> then, then, uh, then you eventually become your circadian rhythm changes. That's yeah. jet lag. It just messes you up for a long time. No, no, it just messes you up for it. Just messes you up for you know the uh, number of days it takes to get over jet lag, mm. which is typically one hour per day of time change. Wow, so many facts. <laughs> 
<laughs> Impressive that you're bringing these at seven, uh, six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know. That's because I'm a morning person. That's what wow, I'm trying to all, tell you. It all ties in. This is you not what we're talking about. You asked me at 11 p.m. and I, I will not be, I will not have any facts. I'll just be angry. Um, what are we talking about today? <laughs> we're talking about in-show narration. Yeah. Which is a genre, I think, that does not get enough love in our industry. It's it's a great genre, and it's a genre that you and I work in mm. pretty regularly. People don't talk about it probably because there's not a ton of opportunities. It's not like there's not tons of work out there for it, particularly considering there's so many established people that do it already. So breaking in is kind of tough. I would I would argue that there is a lot of work in that genre, but that it's not usually accessible to anyone who doesn't have an agent. Mm. Because when you think about it, think about like every single home improvement show that has a narrator, every single murder show that exists on Netflix, every single murder show that exists on Oxygen, every single murder show that exists on Lifetime, like all of those shows, I mean, maybe not all of them have narrators, but even if 50% of them have narrators, that's like hundreds of jobs. Mm. Um, you know, all of the nature documentaries and all of the, all of the like reality shows, um, that have narrators, all of the kind of lifestyle shows, cooking shows, you know, reality competition shows, all of those shows have in show narrators. So there is actually a lot of work and I get auditions for in show narration. I would like at least a couple times a week from my, really? from my reps. That many? Yeah, Totally. Because for me, I've noticed that, and I've benefited from this, once you get your foot in the door with it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're kind of in the door, you know, you're very much in the house, which is great because then you become a sort of the voice of whatever it is. Yeah, it's kind of like promo in that way. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good gig. I really, what do you enjoy most about intro narration? I have so many thoughts about it. (laughs) I really like, I mean, so basically the job of the in-show narrator is to move the story forward when they don't have exactly what they need on screen, mm. right? Or like when the characters on screen don't talk in the, in the, in the uh, instance of a nature documentary. Or if yeah. you're doing some kind of historical documentary where you don't have sound clips of, you know, people talking. Um, so I really like deciding how to tell the story um, and choosing which words to emphasize to give you that little bit of intrigue or to make you believe that one person committed the murder when the other person is really the one who did it. You know, mm. there are ways to to color your phrases to make all of that happen. So that's what I like. What do you like? That speaks to what I like a lot, which is that you have a lot of influence over the finished product in a way that in a lot of other genres you don't. Maybe audiobooks is different, but most other genres you are perfunctory in a lot, a lot of situations, you know. Um, with this, it's it's something to really get your teeth into. If there's a narrator, you've probably got quite, a, you know, a chunk of copy to say per episode. So you have quite a big influence, almost in the same way that a score does in influencing the direction or the, the mood or the uh, intent of whatever it is that you're saying. That's what I love. And particularly if they hire you for whatever it is that you do, they kind of want your personality as well. So you have yeah. a bit of flexibility there to sort of play a bit more. Even if it's very restrictive, which we will talk about shortly, there are a lot of restrictions a lot of the time, structure-wise or content-wise, but you still have a certain amount of flexibility there, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. So tell tell me about your experience in in-show narration. What mm. kind of shows have you narrated mostly and... Uh, and how has the workflow and the workload and the process of recording been for you? Well, I get hired for, you know, British guy, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> informational things. Um, not, I mean, I, I hear British people on some reality shows and stuff like that, but obviously if, if it's based in the UK, yes, but most of the stuff that I do have been documentaries and um informational stuff like that. I've done stuff for Nat Geo. I've done nature docs for them and various other things. My big one that I do regularly, I'm still, I'm doing, I do sessions every week for is Bondi Vet, which is mm-hmm. Australian production, 
which I started doing Vet on the Hill, which was a show on Channel 4 in the UK, uh, years and years ago. And that get, got shown on ABC over here. And, and it, was, it was a great show. And I got in with the company. And they have a sort of bigger production, which was this show called Bondi Vet, which was kind of big in Australia and got um, sort of franchised out. And then last year, I became the voice of like the whole thing. So now I do all their videos and, and all their, their shows. Um, but now they have vets in the US and in the UK and in Australia, and they go between, you know. And what's funny is when it was, when I first started, it was on TV. And they've really now leaned into online and they get much higher viewing figures online than they oh, did wow, on, that's interesting. you know, even on like network TV, like in the UK, Channel 4 is one of the big, you know, networks. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, that show came about from like an online casting. Most of the other one-off shows that I've done have just been through agents. And I know, and I've never really got my foot in the door. I know that a lot of these companies have sort of in-house rosters, which I'm sort of, yeah. that's next level. I don't know if they're yeah. going to put a British guy on there, but yeah. And now, obviously, Bondi Vet's the main one, but it's usually like one-off shows, special mm -hmm. show every now and again when they need a Brit. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to an, you know, a next series would be great. <laughs> you never know when they come along. What's really interesting about this genre, too, is that if if you are a producer or a director who works in reality TV or who works in documentary series or things like that, you tend to move around within the same genre. Mm. Like someone who someone who is the producer on, you know, a Nat Geo nature documentary is probably not going to go be a video game director the next, yeah. you know, <laughs> in their in their next job. If they do, that's great but they're probably going to go from nat geo to you know i don't know a different show within the same network or a show on animal planet or you know which i guess is technically the same the same well, actually, company <laughs> a lot of them are based in dc weirdly enough those companies smithsonian nat geo discovery i think they're all in dc so oh yeah <laughs> they can literally move from company to company and not have to move house you know <laughs> so yeah. you know yeah. there's, there's that too but yeah Car sorry Car I yeah remember. yeah no but I, but um what i was gonna say is um the, the trick if you are a narrator to keeping your job and to getting hired more first of all you have to nail the audition and we can talk a little bit about about auditions and how to really do a good job on an audition but once you've got it and you've got the job, um, the number one thing, in my opinion, is to be extremely professional, be really easy to work with, give them what they want, and make it so that they really want to hire you again. Because once they want to hire you again, they will hire you a lot again. Yeah. Um, and that's really true of any any job. Be Be professional and be awesome to work with and they'll hire you again. However, you know, if someone's doing like a one-time sexual harassment tra training video for their company, uh, they might not have work for you again for a long time, whereas these producers, um, things tend to happen fast. Um, I feel like <laughs> I feel like in reality TV, at least, it's always like, okay, we finished filming yesterday and the episode's going out in <laughs> eight <Yes>. days. <laughs> Where's the voiceover? Here they are. <laughs> yeah. um, if you can be the person that gets it to them within those eight days, then you are a valuable member of the team. I mean, I've been in sessions where we come up to something in the in the script and I question a pronunciation and they're like, oh God, I, I don't know. And they, they like have to call up the person on the phone yeah. like in the session and like, yeah. how do you pronounce your last name again? Like it's, it's all very last minute, you know. Which is really, which, which is really interesting, which brings me to my point because I, I asked you what genres you do. I do mostly true crime. Mm. I do mostly true crime, mostly murder in particular. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, uh, when I first started doing it a couple years ago, it was extremely disturbing. Mm. I have always been a true crime fan. I listen to true crime all the time. I listen to it when I'm like doing things around the house, when I'm driving. Can you, can you answer crime. why? Why are you obsessed with true yes. crime? Yes. So, so here's the thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it, this might take a dark turn, but... <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I think the reason why women in particular are so interested in true crime 
is because we feel a level of fear about the world and a loss of control. Like as a woman, nine times out of 10, when you're in a situation with with a man who's, you know, your age or a little bit older or a little bit younger, you know you're at a physical disadvantage. And, you know, they might be a, a safe person to be around, but there's always that fear with someone that you don't know that if you make them mad, you have no idea what can happen to you and you have no idea, like, y- you might lose control and be in a situation that you can't get out of. We yeah. are constantly, as as women, living with that fear. I was just talking to my dad about this the other night. <laughs> um, I think that we watch true crime because we want to have a sense of control. Like, oh, that guy was weird. And we could tell because he was a cable guy that, no, he was an alarm system guy who came to your house and asked too many questions. Okay, now I know Mm. that, uh, what's the name of that killer? I forget the All I can B- think BTS killer. No, no, yeah, no. The one, the one that he he worked oh. for. He worked for ADT Security. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know the one you're referring B- to. BTK, BTK. Right. The serial killer. You watch that show, and you're like, okay, now I know. If the cable guy comes to my house, if the alarm system guy comes to my house, and he's like too weird and too talkative, my the hairs on my neck are going to stand up, and I'm going to just be extra aware of my surroundings. Mm. Like, oh, this girl was kidnapped because she was drunk and walking home by herself at night. Like, that seems obvious, but watching that in a show and being like, oh, okay, now I get it. It kind of arms you with the knowledge of how crimes are committed so that you feel like you have a little bit more control over your life. Mm, That makes sense. I kind of, I think I'd kind of assumed that, but... Because of there is a demographic that loves true crime, right? You it's know, true. You're very much in it. It's true. Yeah. But it's not because I'm into, like, there's a there's a certain group of people, right, that are really into, like, the occult. And mm. they, they like, you know, their favorite holiday is Halloween. And they like gore and horror films and things like that. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I'm definitely... The person who on Halloween makes a bluey house yeah. with <laughs> balloons and happy music. Yeah. That's me, not the kind of person that, that has like skeletons and blood and stuff at their house. That's not me. No. But I love true crime because it's a puzzle and because it makes me feel like I have a little bit more control over my surroundings. Plus, also remember, we are a, a, a people who used to watch public executions for hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there must be something in us that gets like a, a, a thrill with a sense of justice. I mean, I definitely have a morbid curiosity for sure. And there's, I mean, I watched that Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix and Loved it. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. I mean, loved is a strange word, but you know what I mean. Like, I I thought it was an interesting watch. Um, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Actually, coming back to something you said, completely off topic here. Just wanted sure. to mention it before we moved on about you saying that a lot of the producers move around and things mm-hmm. like that, and there's a lot of work. Another thing is that there's a lot of additional voiceover that is involved in the production of these shows. So if it's, for example, a historical piece or, you know, whatever it is where they don't have, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin <laughs> be able to recite some testimonial, there's a lot of that kind of why they just get him? Well, I mean, <laughs> good question. <laughs> um, you know, producers will go back to their roster of talent that they've used time and time again. And I've done tons of those little, just little... SOT type recordings that yeah. take me five minutes and it's just because of someone I've worked with and I'm a British guy and they're like, oh yeah, you'd be good for like, I don't know, Winston Churchill or something. <laughs> but just as a little side note, yeah, so it's definitely worth keeping in with them and doing a good job for that reason too. Definitely. Have you done reality TV? I've always think that's a really interesting genre that I haven't done a ton of or any of actually. As um, as no, I, well, I would say, I would say that your vet show I mean, okay, when we're talking about reality TV, yeah, there are a few different kinds of reality TV, right? There's like, um, there's the kind of like game show, <laughs> I almost said real world r- road rules. 
people people of a certain age will understand. I, I watch that show. Real world. Real world road rules challenge, which is the hardest name of a show to say. Try to say it three times fast. Yes. Real world road real rules world challenge. Real world road rules challenge. Real world road rules challenge. No, no, right? Can't That's do it. so hard. Can't do it. Good job to whoever narrated that show. Um, uh, but yeah, there, there's the kind of reality TV that has a winning component to it. So like British Bake Off or, um, you know, like a, like a, I don't know, one of those elimination shows. Iron and that Chef. is a different, yeah, Iron Chef. Yeah, there's a lot of cooking, cooking shows like that, but also like, um, I don't know, the fashion shows and the, right, yeah. you know, the modeling shows and the best, you know, I don't know. RuPaul's they... Drag Race. Yes, RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> You know, I have to say, I have not watched a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race, but every single person I know who watches that show is an awesome person who I really love. Yeah. And I have a feeling I would just love it if I watched it. Do you know what um, my wife and I watch more than anything? Queer it's, Eye? Well, that is a great show. I love we do like also. We do like that show. Um, but two of the contestants from RuPaul's Drag Race, Trixie and Katya... Uh-huh. Have a YouTube show called Un, like U N H H H H or something like that. It's spelled <laughs> really well, and they literally just talk about a subject. And the animation over the top of them just talking is hysterical. It's an amazing show. It's incredibly rude. Do not watch it around the kids. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It's so good. But anyway, I don't know how we got subject. Okay, yeah. if you want to hear a an absolutely masterful in-show narration on a reality show watch the show too hot to handle the woman who is uh the in-show narrator for that show is incredible she is funny she is um irreverent at times she's she's like she's just amazing and she is this woman yeah she's um she is uh, a black woman who lives in England, I think. Desiree Birch. Yeah, yeah Desiree Birch. Yeah. yeah she, I mean, talk about masterful in-show narration. Like, you can't not listen to her. But she also does it in a way that makes her so much a part of the story. She's just integral to the entire plot of that show, which the the plot of the show... <laughs> The premise is that um, you get a bunch of like horny singles in their 20s and you put them in one place and then they have one night of craziness and debauchery and they all form connections. And then the next day they tell them um, the challenge is that you can't have any physical contact with each other for the next four weeks or something like that. And any time... Anytime someone kisses each other or does anything else, uh, they get money removed from the pot <laughs> of money, which for, for say, most how difficult of us, is that? <laughs> <laughs> just wait a month. Holy shit. <laughs> not that, that's not that difficult. <laughs> Surely. It would seem that it's not that difficult. Uh, but for these people, it is very difficult. <laughs> Can I shout out Trixie and Katya again? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> they do a show on on Netflix that's that reviews a lot of Netflix shows, and they did that show too hot to did handle. They? And uh, yeah, it's so good. It's really good. Don't watch that show for the show itself. <laughs> no, but although for the I have to say, I I started yeah. watching it just to just to kind of just I don't know, I because I love Desiree and I and I um wanted to hear more of her, but then I did really get sucked into the like cotton candy gumball machine um sexiness of the show and i ended up watching a few episodes there was a show that they they reviewed and it was all about uh couples that would get married at the end of the show and that was incredible and the whole the sort of denouement of the show was they walked up to the aisle with their family in the audience and they sort of decided in that moment if we're going to get married if they did if they said yes they got married Oh and yeah. Was, well, there's married at first sight. Too. Oh, maybe that that was it. That was it. Yeah, married at yeah. first sight. <laughs> oh my god, it was okay. We shouldn't talk about this. Really, <laughs> this isn't part of the show. But um, some of them, you were like, oh god, this guy's taking this girl for a ride. Like, you know, <laughs> she shouldn't. She shouldn't get married to this guy. And 
just when you think she's going to make the worst decision of her life, she calls him out and turns him down. And it's the most satisfying moment. Oh, my God. It's so good. And he's just like, oh, her family is screaming at him. And us. Oh, it's, it's But fantastic. see, that is exactly what they want. They want. And that's what they want from an in-show narrator, too. They yeah. want you to to be able to to give the delivery of a line that gives intrigue and that makes and that makes the audience think one thing is going to happen mm. when really another thing is going to happen. Yeah. And if you're good at that, you will work in this genre a lot. Um not even just in show narration or sorry, not even just reality TV, but just in show narration in general because that is the job. And your job is really to support everything that is on screen and emphasize and highlight and, and yeah. uh, ex- not exaggerate per se, but lift up what is happening on screen to the next yeah. level. Yeah. And I often think that the narrator in a in-show show <laughs> is almost like the bassist in a band. Mm-hmm. Without it, it would be like really thin and like what's going mm-hmm. on. But you're not there. You're not the star of the show <laughs> at the same yeah. time. You're not the front man or front woman. I love that. I love that analogy. Yeah. So th- this is another thing to know is that is that reality TV and documentaries uh, a lot of the time they're usually broken up into a structure that I am going to tell you about right now and it's going to destroy everything you've ever loved about reality TV or probably not because we all walk into it with a certain um suspension of disbelief. <laughs> um to me, it can really be broken up into six parts. And often these are six different acts that have commercial breaks in between them. But even if they're not, even if there are more commercial breaks or le- or less commercial breaks, you usually have this structure, which is the opening, which is a lot of exposition. We get to know the people that are part of the show. Um, we get to know what the things that they want, whether they're looking for a new house or... Um, you see they're this happy family living in the suburbs, and then one day tragedy strikes, right? Um, before you go to commercial break, there is always, at least at, at least in the first act, something called a deep tease. And the deep tease is basically like the coming up. <laughs> it gives you an overview of Sounds everything in the episode. Sounds like it would be coming episode. from too hot to handle. Yeah, right? Deep tease. <laughs> Coming up, the deep tease on Too Hot to Handle. No, no. Um, But the deep tease is like, uh, it's kind of an overview of everything that's going to happen in the episode that you haven't seen yet. It's the the, uh, antithesis of previously on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So so the, the first part is the exposition of everything. And then you usually leave them with a cliffhanger and you go into the deep tease. The second part, act two, is the discovery of a problem. That's usually when the murder is discovered. Or you have three houses that you need to choose from and we're going to visit house number one. <laughs> or we're going to look for a new house and we're going around, but it's like it's the, it's the discovery of the problem. So what are we, what are we looking at here? Act three, the next part, is a false resolution, meaning like we uh, we think that it's the boyfriend. Aha, it must have been the boyfriend who murdered her. Or we bought the house. Yay, that's awesome. We bought the house. And you think, okay, now it's all over. But usually at the end of act three is where you discover that that, that there's something horribly wrong with the house. <laughs> Yeah. Or or um, you end with like, uh, in, it, it's basically like in your mind, you think that it's the boyfriend. And so I would say a phrase like, but her boyfriend was out of town that day. Right. And so you're like, oh, my gosh, he was supposed to be at home. She was at Disney World and he was also out of town. <gasps> Could he have been at Disney World and murdered her? <laughs> right. <laughs> um <laughs> Disney World murders. Um, uh, I don't know of any Disney World murders. Let's just put that out there. Disney. Well, that's, I was going to say, do you want to work for Disney in the future? <laughs> I want nothing to do with this Disney. This no, does no, not, no. I didn't say this, Disney. If you're listening, <laughs> purely Disney's car. always listening. <laughs> yeah. 
all the reality shows, all the networks we just listed, all owned by <laughs> yes, guess who? Disney. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so, <laughs> so, um, so Act Four is usually the discovery of the real resolution. So I would say the boyfriend was out of town, and then we learn. Brad, the boyfriend, was on a cruise with his family in the Bahamas. Like, there's no way he <laughs> his other family. Her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but then you find out that there was a suspect that that like was earlier in the show that now we think is the murderer. Murderer. Mm. Act five is usually the resolution where we catch the murderer, or like on the house show, you know, the problem is fixed, but now we have to show the house in order to resell it or whatever. Um, and act six is usually the wrap up. The wrap up is usually the entire trial of a murder show takes place in the final act, unless there's something weird that goes on with the trial and they want to extend it over two acts. But usually the act six is the wrap up. They sell the house. You see the new owners in the house, like whatever it happens to be, act six is the wrap up. So exposition, problem, false resolution, Discovery of the real resolution, resolution, wrap up. Absolutely. And sometimes you have three intersecting stories with this oh, yeah. structure throughout That's this right. one episode. That's <laughs> right. The, On your show, for sure, because they go yeah. from animal to animal to animal. Yeah. <laughs> Back at Sash in Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, that's the sort of story structure, but there's the sort also, there's all the, the technical structure of the show as well yeah. like you mentioned with the teases and with the ramp ups to the ad break and then coming back from the ad break and you're doing a little summary and then you're going back and maybe you're teasing the story for a little you know a few minutes time and then you get into the meat of it like so there's all this sort of energy that when you're in the booth you have to sort of imagine half the time you're not recording to picture well most of the time you're not recording to picture so really for me I'm like if it's a show that I'm, I'm just doing one episode of I've, I don't know what it is I try and gather the information from the producers, mm -hmm. what the vibe of the show is, what kind of structure it is. So I've got a sense of, okay, so this is very structural. But if it's something for, say, like Netflix or HBO or Hulu, it's it's not going to have these ad break structures. It's going to be starting with the, at the beginning of Act 1 and ending with the finale. You know, like yeah. it's very much you're telling a story. So, you know, knowing the network and the location, and the subject matter and everything like that also informs that level of structure that you have to adhere to and how formulaic, you know, for want of a better word, formulaic yeah. it is, you know, because there are... Well, the formula of, works, so why yeah. mess with it? People, yeah. love, people love it. It's a very, it's, a, it's an easy, it's an easy way to structure your show. It's a very good scaffolding for any show really, mm. because it's been proven again and again and again. I mean, this this uh, six-act structure goes back to, like, sh Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's not like it doesn't work. We know it works. So knowing your shows, like, be getting familiar with watching, you know, these shows that maybe you're not necessarily inclined to watch otherwise is worthwhile. So you can get a sense of the rhythm and the pacing and the structure of it. Because you well, can and that goes back to the it. audition. Yeah, yeah mm. that goes back to the audition too. And this is, I wanted to talk about how to really nail your audition. The number one thing you should do when you nail, if you want to nail the audition, is look up the network that the show is on, if you mm. have that information. If it says Netflix on the audition, you know, go to Netflix and look at, and you know, if it's Netflix and it's like a historical intrigue documentary or a documentary about like psychedelics or something go on netflix and look up a documentary that's similar that they have on the platform yeah i said psychedelics because i watched a psychedelics documentary on netflix it was amazing oh really <laughs> it's really cool we watched a mr rogers documentary last night <laughs> oh mr rogers oh it was no no narration sadly but yeah you know, it was great. yeah a lot of documentaries don't have narration also, yeah. you don't need a narrator, but if you have a narrator, then, you know, um, you also, you need to know the role of the narrator. Are mm. you the teacher? Are you part of the action? Um, and even if you are the teacher and have a, a more informative read, in my opinion, anyway, the narrator always has a point of view about the subject matter. 
even if the even if you're just giving information and you say like you know on december 7th 1941 pearl harbor was attacked right if i say on december 7th 1941 pearl harbor was attacked like that's not very impactful and that's nothing but if i say on december 7th 1941 pearl harbor was attacked right like that you know that I feel urgency. I have urgency in my voice and that it's something that's dramatic that's happening instead of just like blase. Yeah. I've always, I don't know if you noticed this, but I find that when you do narration dry, it feels like you're going overboard, like mm-hmm. too much. But when it's to picture, it sounds much more appropriate. So if your baseline, like my baseline is a little underplay, I have to pump it up a bit. in terms of emotion and maybe a little bit of energy as well. And I find that because that I know my baseline, I know that that you need to maybe crank up the emotion a bit because then it really fits. There's also times when you have to transition from something really dramatic to something kind of fun or whatever. And there's a sort of skill in finding that middle ground as well, or at least transitioning from one section to another that isn't super jarring. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Again, I I think like imagination is such a big part of this. If you don't, if you're not doing it to picture, you know, and also not being afraid to ask a bunch of questions in the session. So, well, right. you know, the amount of times I'm like, so, okay, this. Let's say for my vet show, okay, so this animal's having surgery. What level of jeopardy are we talking here? Like, is right. this yes. is this just factual? Oh, they're going in and they're taking out the you know whatever it is. It's fine. Um, the uterus. Yeah. <laughs> I did one the other day. They operated on a goldfish, right? Yeah. I have how, a beta how? Fish. I have a betta fish at home that really needs some, some kind of medical care. But how do you operate on a goldfish? It's underwater. <laughs> you got to take it out. Yeah, right? I know. Well, they ba- they had it in in like half submerged in this little tray, and then they would like flick water on it and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, but yeah, so really, really getting a, a, as much of a broad picture as you can of what is happening on screen if you don't have any visuals is is really beneficial because like with a lot of other genres i mean we've talked about this in the past if it's a commercial the holy grail is when they have the music you yeah know, they can describe anything but if they can play the music like oh i know exactly i know exactly how to play this yeah. like the music tells me everything yep um and sometimes if they're just like yeah so this dog's going to surgery he's like 15 he's a small dog he's got a really high heart rate is the whole thing is like treacherous you want to have that sense of what you know this is really like you know or it's just he's going in to like have his nails trimmed and he's too violent no they have to knock him out it's totally different (laughs) (laughs) he's too violent (laughs) i can i tell you one story i did a story about a dog years ago i think i've mentioned this this poor dog he had a micro penis and undescended <laughs> testicles. This one dog. <laughs> and the whole time Aww. the husband and wife were talking about it, the wife was like making jabs at her husband, <laughs> saying, you know, oh, he takes after you and blah blah blah. It was, oh, it, was it was a fun one to direct. <laughs> so that has a quite a different energy to the you know the the you know the kitten with a heart condition. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Um <clears throat> how how often do you see picture, Jamie? Um very rarely. Yeah, I never all, I never see picture. I have I have. I actually one time I did one it was kind of a nightmare. I, it was an in studio one in New York. It was for Nat Geo actually. And they didn't have picture, but every single line was timed. Yeah, it's so, often that's often the case. I mean, yeah. maybe not often, but I've definitely done I've definitely done shows where where it's timed. But it was what was really annoying was that they had a little a countdown timer in my vision, and so I'd start. They click the button, and rather than say, "Oh yeah, you're a you're a bit long," I would literally like in the corner of my eye <laughs> the, oh, the clock God. ticking down, and it was. Super stressful. I bet. Yeah. As um, stressful as a micro penis with an undescended I testicles. Could, well, I, I have no idea. 
Um, uh, but yeah, so you know, the, there are restrictions with when it comes to that. But yeah, having picture is great. But like you said earlier, it's often super last minute. They they don't yeah, have anything no, edited or you know no. cut. I mean, I so I don't even. I'm at a point with a couple of the shows that I do where we don't even do a, a session anymore. They send me the script. I send them two takes of every cell, every little box that has to go in, um, and uh, and I split takes for them, and I send it back, and they send they come back with pickups if they need them. Mm. And usually the pickups are rewrites, not because I made a mistake. I try not to make too many mistakes. That happens too, actually, doesn't it? Rewrites, like when they hear the voice, oh, yeah. they're like, oh, maybe it's kind of worded weirdly, or maybe we or they decided to change a shot, and so now they need different voiceover to go over it, or they just really didn't like, you know, the interview that somebody gave, and so they'd rather have it done with voiceover. So, uh, yeah, so often I'm not in a session at all. Mm. I do it on my own. And in fact, you know, when I was traveling in D.C., I actually narrated a couple of episodes of this show a couple weeks ago on the road, which I was so nervous about because I had no idea what my hotel room was going to sound like. I do not recommend that <laughs> for anyone. Um, but it was a, it was a like must do situation. And, um, and then also like this company, they usually send me a script, you know, they'll send me a full episode, like around, I don't know, in the late afternoon. And I always try to have it back to them the next morning, the whole episode. Yeah. Very quick turnaround times. Um, and so when I was traveling in D.C., I got the script in the late afternoon and there was no way for me to go to a studio um, because it was the night time. <laughs> so, yeah. so I recorded it in my hotel room and it ended up sounding really actually quite good mm. because I... Uh, put duvets and pillows all inside the closet <laughs> and and I always travel with my um with my 416 so at least it's the same microphone not that that makes a huge huge difference but so it ended up being okay but I mean yeah. honestly like these days the cleanup tools are so good obviously you don't want to send them anything that is subpar if you don't have to but if you're on the road and you can Send them something where the core audio is high quality, even though there's additional sound in the background. Taking that sound out these days is so easy. And when it's to do with documentary or, well, any in-show narration, you're speaking over stuff that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so much environmental or music or sound effects or whatever that no one would ever notice. I mean, unless you're literally recording something dreadful and they didn't know how to process it, you can work wonders with audio these days. So, And they're used to doing that because they're used to editing dialogue or editing real-world audio. Road rules. Yeah, road rules. <laughs> real-world road rules. Real-world road rules audio. <laughs> uh, with RX. <laughs> um, let, yeah. me tell you, let me tell you a funny story, though, about that travel time because I knew that I had to record and it was actually two episodes and they gave it to me super late we got into the hotel like at seven or eight and I had dinner with Tim and Matthew and Michael Scott in the in the lobby of the hotel hotel restaurant and then I went upstairs thinking like okay I'm gonna do this job and my hotel room had a fan noise that you could not turn off it was like, it sounded like the fan in the bathroom was on, but it was throughout the entire hotel. And it was like, right in the range of human speech, which would Ugh. make it very hard to take out. And I was like, no. So I called Tim. I was like, Tim, can I come to your room and see if this sound is in there? <laughs> I walk into his room. I'm like, damn it. So I walk. I'm like, Michael Scott, can I come to your room and see if the sound is there? So I go to his room. Dad, no. <laughs> I went back. I went back into my room, and I was like, "Okay, maybe if I just go in the closet." So I went in the closet, and I closed the door, and I was like, "Oh, the sound is pretty much gone." Okay, I can make this work. So I'm like grabbing the duvet off the bed and the pillows, and I'm putting everything together, and I'm like trying to get it done. Finally, I go into the booth. I close the door. It sounds pretty good. I do like two auditions to warm up, and then. I got out of the booth um, to grab something and I look out the window and three 
busloads of eighth graders show up <laughs> at the hotel. Oh, and they're no. all staying on my floor. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Luckily, they were very loud in the hallway, but they had lights out at 11 p.m. with, like, blue tape stuck to their door and, uh, um, and uh, a hall monitor in the oh. hall for the entire <laughs> night. <laughs> so they had to be quiet at 11 p.m. And I recorded from 11 to, like, 2 a.m. Oh, man. And, uh, and I got it done. Eighth graders be damned. <laughs> Not really eighth graders. You, you're fine. You don't have to and you've got damned. previous going into closets and having issues. Oh, in yeah. I got stuck in a closet. <laughs> I got stuck in a closet. Did in you a get hotel flashbacks? closet. <laughs> you know, it ended up okay for me with the hotel closet. That's true. I wouldn't yeah, recommend it, but no. <laughs> I did end up on NPR. And Philip Glass wrote me a, an opera, <laughs> at least an aria. Oh, just an you don't know what I'm oh, talking about. Mind. It sounds like I'm making it up, but I'm not making it up. <laughs> it's true. It really happened. Um, another thing I want to mention regarding reading for in-show is not to honor the punctuation all that much, unless it's ellipses, then you have to really honor them. But I find a lot of the copy is written in a way that you can add much more drama to it with pauses, with emphasis, and with things that aren't necessarily reflected. So I would just be aware of adding your personal flair to it in a way that doesn't necessarily honor the, the punctuation. And I think that applies to a lot of genres, but it's not as prescribed, I would say, in this kind of genre of work than it would be in, completely. say, commercial. Yeah. yeah. Because you want you want that cliffhanger, right? Yeah. Like, you, you want to be able to say, and her, and her boyfriend was out of town. Yeah, you know, that little dramatic like, pause. And her boyfriend yeah. was out of town. Like yeah. that doesn't like you want you want that dot dot dot. So people are like, her boyfriend was what? Her boyfriend <laughs> was what? <laughs> and you know, you can get like oftentimes you'll give two run throughs of each line or three run throughs of each line. So they've got opportunity to play. So you can give them a bunch of options in the edit to go a couple of different ways. So yeah. I mean this is again I do this and I'm sure you do for any genre of voiceover, if you're doing it multiple times, do it multiple ways. Yeah. <laughs> so they've got options later. Again, removing the option for them to come back to give you pickups, but also just it ha it gives you an opportunity to play and try different things out and, yeah. you know, different emphasis or whatever. I also want to say that you absolutely must have the full script whenever possible, including all of the lines of the, the, the people say on screen. Because mm. in the example of, and her boyfriend was out of town, right? Like, um, you need to know if the detective is saying, well, we didn't know if her boyfriend was out of town. Then you would say, and her boyfriend was out of town, right? Like, instead of yeah. Like, you have to know what comes before, because if I say her boyfriend was out of town, yeah. like, that's different from, that's different from her boyfriend was out of town. Mm. Or, like, her boyfriend was out of town, yes. like, as opposed to her dad, right? So, like, you have to know what is happening and who they want you to, um, and what problem they want you to highlight and what they want the audience to think, you know, is the resolution or the problem or whatever, so that you know how to color that phrase, because the different words that you emphasize can, can completely change the meaning of a sentence. Yeah, because you you might well be, like you said, responding to something exactly. directly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've got your session shortly, so we've got to wrap I this know, up. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'd rather stay here with you <laughs> and talk about, you know. Yeah, but I'm not paying you anything, so. You're that. not paying me? <laughs> oh, wait, can we talk just before we wrap up? How much does this genre pay usually? Uh, I mean, it really depends. Um, I would say for me, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, it's usually between 1000 to 3000 per episode. Yeah, yeah. And in a season, there can be anywhere between like six or like sometimes with these true crime shows, you might get a huge season that has like 30 episodes in it. Um, but anywhere from six to 30 episodes and typically one to 3,000 per episode is what I've found. Yep, that sounds, that sound right. that sounds right to me. 
Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's it's an hour of your time. It's not the highest paid thing in the world in terms of voiceover, but in terms of consistency and being relatively high profile compared to a lot of genres, it's really good. Um, so yeah, it's a it's one of my favorite genres. Mine too, because it's enjoyable and rewarding. It is enjoyable. Okay. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Oh, come to uh, Costa Rica. Yes. We announced our two new speakers. Yeah. Um, Costa Rica is going to be amazing. Yes. And when you think of it and you count all of the money it takes to fly to a conference somewhere else and stay in the hotel there and pay for all the food and pay for all the extra sessions and stuff, it's it's honestly about the same price as coming to Costa Rica. Yeah. We don't have any extra sessions for you to buy. It's an all-inclusive resort, so the food is all included. The price that you pay for the hotel and the and the conference is all you have to pay for the entire weekend. And we've just opened up a form for people who would like to share a room. Yes, um, that's right. And what's good about that is that you're not actually just because you're sharing the room, you're actually also sharing the cost of all the food and drink too because the room rate is the rate for everything so yes. essentially you're halving your cost of everything while you're there yeah uh, you pay for the conference ticket and then your room rate and that's that's it and, and you can also share remember, that cost. you can bring a non-voiceover guest if you want mm. um so if you're coming you you buy a conference ticket but you can also bring your non-voiceover spouse and they are invited to all of the um parties in the evening and the networking breakfast in the morning the last day yeah. so Wonderful. yes so go to vocationconference.com if you'd like to find out more and for ticket links for that too yes and hang out with a bunch of cool people alright yeah. that's it Jamie okay we'll see you next time real world road rules challenge <laughs> complete <laughs>